Let's pray. Father God, as we turn to Your Word, we pray that You will open our eyes and our hearts to Your truth. Help us to see Your grace at work. Father, we pray also that You'll be with Pastor Rob Stevens, who we've prayed for all month. We pray for him and his family, that You'll strengthen them, that You'll be with the people of Alethia College Park Church. We pray that You'll help them to fulfill the mission that You've given them, that they will reach the lost around College Park, Maryland, Father God. We pray that You will bring them a man of God who is completely sold out to Jesus Christ and willing to give it all for the sake of advancing the Gospel as they seek to establish their first church plant. We pray for people who will gather around Him, Father God, and help accomplish this vision that You've given the church. Lord, we pray for our friends as we have all month of Pioneers USA. Father, they're doing a work that we can't even mention, but You know what they're doing. You know where they are. You know them better than they know themselves, better than we know them. Father, we pray that You will give them what they need right now. We pray that You'll strengthen them For we know in the work that they do, it can be lonely, it can be hard. Father, I pray that that Your grace will be sufficient for them to endure and to continue to advance the Gospel. We pray that Your love, Your steadfast love, will encourage them and be with them, Father God, in this time. Lord, we pray for another unreached people group this morning the Arabs who are in the Algerian of Tunisia. Father, we pray that You will break down the walls that they have built up, Father, in their lives. That the truth of the Gospel will penetrate their hearts, Father, that You will save people from the, uh, the Algerians, Father, who are in Tunisia. Father, we pray that You will soften their hearts and that You will... Enable them to have the conversations that they need to have, Father, with brothers and sisters, and that they'll hear the truth. They'll hear Your voice, and they will respond. Father, we pray that You'll strengthen our brothers and sisters there, and that You'll raise up Gospel-centered churches among that people. Father, we pray again that You'll be with us, as well as the other churches here in King George, as we now focus on Your Word. May Your Word give us what our hearts need this morning. It's in Your name. Amen. This morning, we have come to the climax of our series through the book of Jonah. And as as climatic as it is, chapter 4 has got to be one of the most disappointing chapters of the entire Bible. It's not what you would expect to happen after the glorious salvation of the prophet and of the people in Nineveh. Remember, the main point of this book is to show us the mercy and compassion of our forgiving God. We saw that in chapter 3, God forgave the people of Nineveh when they repented. 
in chapter 4, after all that Jonah's been through, everything that God has taught him, Jonah still doesn't get it, does he? Chapter 4 is Jonah's reaction to the display of God's mercy on the people of Nineveh. And it's not what you'd expect from a man of God. You would expect a person of God to rejoice greatly at the salvation of all these people. That God has relented and they are not going to be condemned. They have repented of their sin and you would expect a person of God to shout for joy. Our God is a compassionate God. He cares for His creation. He cares for His people. He cares for sinners. He cares for you. We've seen God's mercy in the wayward prophet's flight to Tarshish. His hiding in the boat. Him sinking in the water. And God's recommissioning him to preach to Nineveh. At every point of this story, God's mercy is gloriously on display. And Jonah doesn't get it. He doesn't get it, but we know God has been in control at every turn in this story. You'll remember in chapter 1, God called Jonah. God came to Jonah. He sent the great wind. He appointed the great fish to swallow Jonah. He commanded the fish to spit Jonah out on dry land. He spoke to Jonah again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again. And in chapter 4, God appoints a plant to grow and give shade to Jonah. He appoints a worm to attack the plant and kills it. And God then appoints a hot wind to come and beat down on, on Jonah with the, with, his, with the sun until he's faint with exhaustion. From chapter 1 at the beginning of the book, all the way through chapter 4 at the end of the book, God is in control. What's the point of all of this? The theme of the book is the mercy and compassion of a forgiving God. That's the theme. So why all of this emphasis on God's control? It's to show us that He is sovereign. God is in control of His world. He controls all of life. He appoints and He directs people and things and events to accomplish His purpose. And His purpose is to show mercy and compassion. In the story of Jonah, we are witnesses to God who controls all things. He can, he's controlling the events of this story to put His mercy and His compassion on full display. Here in chapter 4, we see that God used an imperfect man to accomplish His perfect task of displaying His mercy and compassion. Jonah is both an instrument and a recipient of God's mercy and compassion. Jonah, as imperfect as he is, fits perfectly. Jonah fits perfectly in God's redemption of mankind. God uses imperfect people 
to fulfill His mission of compassion. That's what we see here. At the end of chapter 3, God withheld His judgment on Nineveh and He didn't destroy them. They repented and they rejected their selfish and evil ways. God uses the words of Jonah to reach the people of Nineveh and to warn them of utter destruction if they continued in their sin. This was God's doing. It wasn't Jonah. It wasn't the people of Nineveh. God used Jonah to allow the Ninevites time to repent. God was fed up. Yet He was still gracious and He gave the Ninevites more time. But He told them time was running out. The purpose of the people's repentance is seen back in chapter 3, verse 9, if you'll look with me. Back in chapter 3, verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger. And here's the purpose. So that we may not what? Perish. So that we may not perish. They were at the mercy of God. And Jonah knew this. He said it himself back in chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's God who saves. By His mercy, it's God who saves. Jew, Gentile, American, male, female, rich, poor, it's God who saves. And we all need to repent so that we may not perish. The people understood that they were evil in God's eyes. And they understood that they would perish if God proceeded with His judgment. And He would be right to do so, wouldn't He? They understood that God is in complete control of their verdict. If He decides that we're guilty, then we're guilty. If He finds a way to make us find us innocent, and then we're completely innocent. This God who is sovereign is finding ways to put His mercy on full display here. The people of Nineveh knew their lives were in God's hands. And it was God's decision to show mercy or not. And we see in chapter 3, verse 10, God did not destroy them. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. God showed compassion on sinners. In chapter 4 that we read a minute ago, this makes Jonah upset. It says he's, he's angry at this. A person of God witnessing what God is doing is upset. He's angry and he initiates a conversation with God. He is so bold, he says, God, what in the world? I knew this about you. Why would you do this? He, he initiates conversation with God with a question. And God then answers him in a series of his own questions in order to teach Jonah a lesson about his mercy and his compassion. And the book then ends with a final question from God. 
That's not how you expect a book of the Bible to end. The reader is left pondering this question that God gives. It's a question that addresses Jonah's anger, and at the same time, it explains the compassion of God. It points really to the whole message of the book. That God is in control and He will have mercy and show compassion on sinners who repent because He is a forgiving God. Should I not pity Nineveh? The question's left unanswered. But that's by design. The question is unanswered because you and I are meant to think about it. You and I are meant to to ponder this question, to think about God's mercy and compassion. Jonah definitely benefited from God's mercy and His compassion. Nineveh received it. All those here this morning who have humbled themselves and repented of sin experience it. And this man gets angry precisely because he knows the truth about God. And the truth conflicts with his own heart's desires. It's not how we expect it. The book began with rebellion and then led to God's mercy, which led to obedience and the sharing of God's message with sinners Then a huge revival breaks out in the city. This glorious revival. Thousands of people repenting of their sin and crying out to God in mercy. God has saved them. Now if the book ended in chapter 3, that would be a fantastic ending, wouldn't it? This man of God learned his lesson. He's no longer prideful and, and stuck up and all about himself. He has been recommissioned. He's been, God has stood him up. He's brushed him off. He says, go forth. He shares the message. Everyone gets saved. What a great ending, isn't it? But that would present you and me with a false reality of what we're faced with now. See, we know how the story of the world ends. That is the glorious ending. All those who repent will be saved and God is going to be seen for who He is. He's going to be glorified either by those around His throne or those who've been cast into judgment. There's going to be a glorious revival when God brings all His people one day around His throne. But we're not there yet. We're not there. This this book of Jonah just completely obliterates the simple, nice, cookie-cutter approach to the Christian life. It brings a reality to what you and I are faced with now. Jonah doesn't come off as the guy that we all want to be like. In chapter 3, God used him in in an amazing, an amazing way. And if we were witnesses in Nineveh, we probably would have said when Jonah walks by, there goes a great man of God. I wish I could do something like that. Maybe you don't say that. I'm just revealing my own desire here to be used by God. Chapter 3 is full of salvation. Don't you want to be part of something like that? Just see a great revival break out here in King George? Where King George is the center of all this repenting and people coming to God. I want to be in chapter 3. 
That's the way we should be praying, isn't it? For God to pity King George County. If God used Jonah to bring revival to Nineveh, He can use you, He can use me to bring revival here to our own community. But that's not the point. The emphasis is not about what you and I do for God. That's why Jonah doesn't end in chapter 3. That's why there's a chapter 4. You see, that would make us the center of the story. And this is God's story. You and I, we need revival. We need constant revival in our own hearts. You and I are flatlined without the mercy and compassion of God given to us again and again and again. He may use you, but you are still in need of the mercy and the compassion of our God. You see, God will not let you and me get away with racking up this list of ministry and service and never addressing our private sin. Do you see that? God used Jonah in an amazing way in chapter 3. But He doesn't let Jonah and He won't let you and me get away with doing great things for God and not address our own private sin. You and I can't hide in a church-going mindset while ignoring the rot that lingers in our hearts. Just like the book of Jonah doesn't end with chapter 3, you and I need to recognize that God has not laid out this simple step-by-step process for revival to occur. God will have mercy on whom He has mercy when He decides to give mercy. We don't follow steps to holiness. And like Jonah, when you and I are used by God, it doesn't mean that we've somehow arrived as great people of God. We have not arrived where sin won't have an effect on us. Christ hasn't returned yet. That's what we're shown in chapter 4. We are just as dependent on God's mercy and compassion as every sinner who's out there in Dahlgren and King George County. We are just as dependent on God's mercy. Chapter 4 reveals an ugliness in Jonah's heart. It's an uncomfortable way to end the story. But that's the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't give you and me a pass just because we call ourselves Christians and we go to church. It's unashamedly pressing on our hearts. It unashamedly presses on our hearts the same questions about God's mercy and compassion. And you and I are wise to remember we never, ever, ever graduate from God's mercy even as He has called you to a new purpose in life, you are still in great need of the mercy of God. A mission that He's called you to, to share His compassion with a lost world, doesn't mean that you have arrived. 
you are still in need of the mercy and the compassion that you're sharing with a lost world. God's mercy reigns and makes us who we are and drives us to share the message of God's grace, not just as instruments, but as recipients of it. We here this morning, we here who see how desperate we are for God's mercy and compassion, are we going to act like Jonah as he's called us to the same mission of sharing his message of grace with sinners? Are we like Jonah that have a good understanding of who God is, but we have a heart that's unchanged? Do we have a right theology, but a wrong desire for our own comfort? Chapter 4 leaves us with these questions. See, it's not enough just to know about God. It's not enough just to to receive. We're, We're left with these questions. What are you and I going to do? Let's look at the text and be in awe of this God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And let's together learn from what He teaches Jonah. Let's look at the text. Chapter 4, verse 1. We see there, Jonah is displeased with God, showing mercy on the Ninevites. It says, he's angry. Verse 1 says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah is looking for justice. He wants retribution for the wickedness. Jonah was angry that salvation was given to these enemies of Israel. He understood that these Ninevites, that they're not the chosen ones. Why are they being given mercy? These are Gentiles. These are evil, wicked people. That's what he means in verse 2 when he said, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Isn't your mercy and compassion for my people? Jonah wrongly believed that God's grace is only for people who are like us. God's mercy was good when Jonah received it. God was there for him. He's the one that Jonah cried out to, so why not Nineveh? Why not other people? Is Nineveh so different? For you and me, we've cried out to God. We've received His mercy and His compassion. All we did was cry out to Him in our sin. And He relented and gave us grace. So why not the people in Dahlgren? Why not your neighbor? Why not the person you can't stand to be around? Are we so different from them? What if next Sunday one of those persons was sitting in your chair when you come to worship? What goes on in your heart? What if our church begins to fill up with sinful people that are completely different from you? Is the gospel for them too? Are you not sent to share the same message of grace and love that you have received? You see, God is not bound by our understanding. He is not bound by our reluctance. 
He's not bound by our biases or our prejudices. He has a glorious plan for His people. It's a plan put together before time. It's a plan that includes both Jew and Gentile. It's it's a plan that He shows His mercy on, on both the Jew, the Gentile, all who repent, and He includes them all in His kingdom. One particular group of people cannot contain God's mercy. It's not an American faith. It's not a middle-of-the-road faith. It's not a comfortable sit-back-and-watch faith. And it's not your faith. It's a faith given to all who repent and who believe. One day, repentant sinners from every nation, tribe, and language will stand together around the throne of grace and praise God for giving them the faith to believe and trust for salvation. They will praise Him for being so gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This man, this man who had run from God, who had abandoned the commission that God gave him, the same man who was swallowed by a fish, the same man who cried out to God and was shown mercy, is now angry with God because he's shown the same mercy and compassion for another people. Jonah didn't run from his commission because he was afraid of the great city of Nineveh, as great as it was. Great city that was a part of the Assyrian Empire, an empire known for aggression and fierce warriors. He wasn't afraid of that. He wasn't afraid of the great city wall that protected over 100,000 people. He wasn't thinking of his personal safety. We're told that Jonah knew how gracious and merciful God is. And that's why he fled. That's why he didn't fulfill the commission that God gave him. Friend, what's stopping you from fulfilling the commission that God has given you? Jonah was confirming who God is. He is acknowledging God's character. He wasn't mad at God being merciful and gracious. That's not what Jonah is saying. He's mad at God showing mercy and grace on Nineveh. Jonah wanted it for himself. He wanted it for people who were like him. It was okay when that mercy was extended to him. It was wrong when it was extended to someone else. And God is about to correct Jonah's thinking and maybe yours and mine this morning and show His sovereignty, His absolute right to show mercy and compassion on whomever He decides. Those who have been commissioned don't get to say what the commission is. We are just simply told to humbly submit and obey. Isn't it ironic, after Jonah cried out to God in the fish for God to save him, He now wants his life taken because God has saved someone else. What a sad state to be in. He said in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
Nineveh's redemption depressed Jonah. God answers Jonah's complaint with his own question in verse 4. Do you be well to be angry? In other words, Jonah, do you think you're justified in your anger? Are you justified in your anger of the commission that God has given you? Are you so full of pride that when I show favor on someone else, you get jealous? Do you not remember what happened to you when you previously went against me? Did I not spare you in the water? Did I not forgive you and recommission you? But God didn't cast Jonah out at that moment. Again, He's showing him mercy and compassion. This was a rhetorical question for Jonah to pause and reflect on what he's received. How undeserving he is. For a second time, God shows compassion on Jonah and proceeds to teach him a lesson. Verse 5 continues, says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in a shade till he could see what would become of the city. Jonah is still defiant. He's still expecting judgment and wanted to see it for himself. In verses 6-8, through God allows Jonah to then experience joy and distress. He lets him experience both joy and distress in order to learn that God is merciful on whom He chooses to be merciful on. What a powerful lesson. A powerful lesson that says mercy is given to whom God decides. We don't get to decide. We don't get to decide our commission. In verse 6, God made the plant grow and provide shade for Jonah. This made Jonah exceedingly glad, it says. The NIV says, very happy. God is doing these things for me and, and it makes me glad. He was happy that he was being taken care of. That's in direct contrast to verse 1, where he was very upset for what God had done for the Ninevites. What a range of emotions this man of God has. Now that God's made the plant to grow, in verse 7, he made it die. He appoints a worm to come and kill the plant. And in verse 8, God has sent a hot desert wind and the sun rays beat down on Jonah. Going from being angry to exceedingly glad, Jonah's now desperate. And he has no control over his situation. He becomes faint and hopeless. Now after this lesson, for the second time in our text this morning, Jonah says it's better for him to die than to live. The end of verse 8, Jonah asked, that, I, that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is realizing his condition is completely dependent on God. Jonah was looking to the plant, but it was God that put the plant there and made it grow. And then God comes to Jonah yet again. This God who's relentless with His mercy comes to him again and questions him, and he allows Jonah to answer. Isn't that amazing? 
God's not coming down just to scold Jonah and to cast him into judgment, although he's right to do that. He comes down and has a conversation with him in order that Jonah will learn. Jonah's answer reveals how focused he was on himself. He's angry because the plant that was giving him shade is now gone. Now let's look at verses 10 and 11. They tell us why God showed mercy on Nineveh and explains Jonah's lesson and why he's so wrong to be depressed and prideful. It's it's a comparison between Jonah's narrow-mindedness and lack of compassion toward the Ninevites and God's sovereignty and His mercy and compassion on sinners. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And that's how the story of Jonah ends. God is telling Jonah, he didn't make that plant grow. Jonah doesn't have that ability. But God did labor and He made Nineveh grow. God allowed in purpose that Nineveh grow into a great city. He enabled them to build their city walls that protected them from attack and secured them. He allowed them to thrive, become the greatest city in Jonah's day. And He did all that so that His mercy and His compassion would now be on full display for everyone to see. That plant that Jonah pitied lasted only one night. Nimrod was built, or built, Nineveh, he's the grandson of Noah. And the Assyrians had controlled the city for 700 years. Nineveh was part of a plan that was in the works for a very long time. And more importantly, God points out that Nineveh wasn't just a great city with 120 thousand people. Those are 120,000 souls. Should I not pity Nineveh? Here were 100,000 human beings who did, text says, not know their right from their left. In other words, how spiritually dull they were. They were spiritually dead. And God said, and also much cattle. Meaning, Even the cattle are more important than Jonah's concern for his own comfort. Jonah's concern for that dead plant. Let's look at the contrast here at this point between Jonah and Jesus Christ. Jonah is an imperfect man that was used for a perfect task of showing God's compassion and mercy. And he's still immersed in seeking his own comfort. Christ, the perfect man, not only showed God's compassion, he's the personification of it. The perfect display of God's mercy and compassion. Jonah was sent to one city and he was begrudging it. Christ came in for the whole world. You see, Jonah is a sign of greater compassion that was to be given through Jesus Christ. 
someone who was begrudgingly showing God's mercy and compassion, and then the perfect God-man who came willingly to show God's mercy and compassion on all those who don't know their left from their right, for all those who are spiritually dead. It says in Hebrews that Jesus looked with joy to the cross. He knew what was in store, and it was joy to Him to come and save you, to show mercy and compassion. Jonah shows us that God is not waiting for judgment on sinners, although He'd be right. We're told in Hebrews 1 that long ago God spoke through the prophets. He spoke through Jonah as selfish and prideful as he was. But in these last days, the days that you and I live, He has spoken to us by His Son. And it goes on to say that Jesus is the perfect imprint of God. He is the perfect display of God's mercy and compassion. He made salvation for a people who are hostile against Him. Those who are spiritually dull and blind, who don't have any idea why they're here. Today there are over 7 billion people on the planet. Each and every person is created in the image of God. That image has become flawed because of sin, but nevertheless, we are still, every single one of us, are image bearers of God. God's glory is shown through His image bearers. More than anything else, more than even His creation, God's glory is shown through His image bearers. Seven billion reflections of God's glory going back up to God. And that's not counting all the people in history. Massive reflection of His own image going back up to Him. Therefore, to help people see their created purpose of worshiping and glorifying God, that is yours and my new mission in life. To all those who are spiritually dull, we've been given the commission to share this merciful and compassionate God who's created them to worship and glorify Him. You and I have been appointed as redeemed image bearers to go find more image bearers to share this message of truth. The goal of you and me being saved is not so that we will go and be good and live moral, comfortable lives and stay away from people who don't have God's grace. The purpose of you and me being saved and kept here is so that we will expand God's kingdom. His kingdom is not some piece of land. God said His kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is made up of souls. Like your neighbors maybe. Your lost family member, friends. People down the street. People you run into. We live to show people a merciful God who's sovereign and gracious and steadfast in love. God has appointed your salvation to show mercy to the people here. We share the gospel of Jesus with them. We tell them of the great mercy of God. You see, it doesn't matter if you're not a preacher. 
doesn't matter if you've been called to what we've described as full-time ministry. There are full-time Christians. There are more people in God's kingdom who are not preachers than those who preach on Sunday mornings. We go to people, we tell them about God, about sin, and the good news of Jesus Christ. And we get to be part. We get to be God's instruments of bringing souls into His kingdom and transforming them into His holy, glorious image while we are recipients of that same mercy and grace. God gave us mercy so we will show His mercy and share compassion with sinners. We pray on the basis of the sovereignty of God so that by the mercy of God, His grace will be manifest in man's souls. Here's the neat part. Here's the neat part. God is bringing people across your path every single day. Do you see them? Do you have compassion for them? Do you and I see people in the same way that God sees people? Should I not pity your neighbor? Should I not pity the people I've put in your life? God's compassion for men is seen on the cross of Jesus Christ who took the penalty for sin, your sin, my sin. Do we have the kind of heart that tells people about this compassion? Or are you and I looking for shaded comfort? Are we upset that God has sent us to a people that aren't like us? Hopefully we are determined to display God's mercy to a lost and dying world. You see, God loves the nations. God loves your neighbor. He loves the people He's put in your life. So the question that I would leave you with this morning, is there something you love more than sharing God's message of mercy? That's what we're left with in the book of Jonah. Is there something you love more than sharing God's message of mercy? God saved you. He saved me. He has compassion and mercy for us. God uses imperfect people like Jonah, like you, and like me to accomplish this perfect plan that He's revealing through His Son. And at the end of Jonah, we're left, you and I are left with knowing who God is. He's a forgiving God, full of mercy and compassion. And my hope is that you and I will humbly obey and share this message of mercy. If you're saved this morning, you have God's Holy Spirit in you. You have what's needed to share His message. If you're battling your thoughts right now, your fears, you're battling other loves in your heart, then cry out to God in mercy. He will hear you. And in His steadfast love, He will help you this morning. He will pour out His grace into you, and He will change your heart. He will give you more of Himself, and His mercy will be a message that you cannot contain. It says, abounding love. This message of mercy and compassion will become your message. And you will experience more of His steadfast love than you ever have before.
Let's pray.